Welcome to the Solidarity Winnipeg podcast. Solidarity Winnipeg is working to lay the basis for an eco-socialist political organization. By that, we mean we are a small group of like-minded people who work in a coordinated way in community groups, in unions, and on campuses to build grassroots power, to educate people, to be effective eco-socialist organizers, and to build support for the long-term goal of breaking with capitalism and starting a transition to eco-socialism. Because Winnipeg is located on Treaty 1 territory, we acknowledge that Treaty 1 is the homeland of Anishinaabeg, Cree, OG Cree, Dakota, Dene peoples, and the Métis Nation. The Canadian state has carried out genocide, ethnic cleansing, and forced removal of Indigenous people in order to clear the land for settlement by Europeans. The colonization and oppression of Indigenous peoples is not a thing of the past, it continues today. But around the world, Indigenous peoples are leaders in the fight against capitalism and environmental destruction. We have a lot to learn from Indigenous cultures and teachings that will help us heal our relationship with the land and with each other. Okay, hello and welcome to the second part of our trans liberation episode. We're going to be talking mostly about the what is to be done about trans liberation and organizing for our revolutionary horizon. (laughs) Something like that. I'm going to start us off with just a, a little piece that I've written, and then we'll um, go into discussion and see where we we go from here. While Time Magazine announced in 2014 that we had reached a tipping point for transgender rights, the spotlight on trans people has turned into something rather monstrous. An apparently endless moral panic about transgender children, drag time story hours, and access to surgery has mobilized conservatives alongside outright fascists while major liberal newspapers court religious fundamentalists, spread misinformation, and prattle on about the need for hearing both sides while we fight for our lives. Much like right-wing attacks on abortion access, which claim the sanctity of life as their raison d'etre, the call for protection of children is tied up with the imposition of the white nuclear family. The right's insistence on family values is expressed through attempts to break up the families of Black and Indigenous people, the social isolation of queer and trans people, and police brutalization of the unhoused. White and wealthy families in suburban enclaves are kept from encountering the reality of the world through a horrific system of prisons, immigration officials, police, child and family services, who facilitate social murder and containment of populations deemed unruly. This is why we see anti-colonial movements, Black Lives Matter, Land Back, police and prison abolition, children's liberation, and the abolition of the family as friends and comrades of trans liberation. Our struggles are intimately tied together. Liberalism has its own self-described progressive version of family values, I would argue. If parents can only be taught to accept their trans kids, at least the ones who don't cause too much trouble, and if we all can just go to enough equity and diversity training, we can create a nice system that includes everyone. The problem is, settler colonial capitalism is predicated on the dispossession of indigenous lands and the exploitation of the working class. Trans liberation cannot aim for our inclusion into capitalism. We must oppose it with everything we've got. As a trans woman, I often feel like I am a traitor to the gender I was assigned at birth. This is something I find quite powerful for fighting against patriarchal gender relations. As a white person from a middle-class background, I strive to be a traitor to my race and class as well. 
The project of liberation for trans people and for everyone deserves nothing less. What kind of organizing then needs to happen to build working class trans power? For the listener, one of the key things you can do, whether or not you're trans, is watch for right-wing protests of drag time story hours and other queer and trans events. Bring your friends and show up to counter-protest. In these depressing times, counter-protests show trans people that there are others out there who have our backs. This is also a great way to meet other leftists and build community with each other. Radical trans-led groups are vitally important for creating networks that can be mobilized into action when threats arise and for fighting off the loneliness that many trans people experience. This can look like reading groups, self-defense clubs, mutual aid networks, whatever the people coming together most need. It doesn't need to start off big. Ideally, a collection of trans-led affinity groups working with one another on different projects could coordinate and share resources with one another under a broader organizational umbrella. It is an unfortunate reality that some on the left view trans liberation as a niche or a side issue and don't think seriously about the issue. This often goes alongside broader sentiments that disregard feminism, anti-racist struggle, and anti-colonial struggles, as if these issues were not fundamental to the class struggle in so-called Canada. Within left-wing organizations, it would be great to start seeing trans caucuses or specific trans-led initiatives. For a concrete example, not to get too shady, given the major issues around sexual assault within the Communist Party of Canada and fight back that have come to light in the last year, the left and so-called Canada desperately needs some sort of multi-tendency, cross-organizational working group to combat sexual assault within left-wing organizations. Given that trans people are disproportionately likely to be survivors of sexual assault, it would be great to see a specifically trans-positive or even trans-led group take on this issue. If you are a trans person listening to this, scared by the rise in anti-trans politics and wanting to do something, but maybe feeling too disconnected to know how, first of all, please feel free to reach out. I've left my contact info in the description, and I'd be more than happy to correspond. Second, nothing is too small. If you have other trans friends who are feeling similarly, you can start an affinity group, start talking together about what trans liberation might look like and see if there are ways you can work towards that in some small capacity. Again, whether that's running a small self-defense group or hosting trans and femme voice training workshops. If it falls apart, then now you have a series of concrete examples to draw lessons from for the next time. There are a lot of us out there who feel rage at the injustices we've faced and seen those in our communities face. So many of us want to build a better world. When we organize and that fire is channeled into action, that power can become unstoppable. Yeah, um, something that I think that you hit upon that is, you know, very good is sort of this need for uh, specifically trans-led organizations and trans-positive organizations. In the previous episode, I was kind of cynical about a lot of it, and I do maintain that cynicalness in a good capacity, but just because we're a small group and it might be difficult to make a sort of traditional large mass public organization doesn't mean that organization and affinity groups are useless. It just means that they're going to have to adjust themselves for sort of the situation they find themselves in. You know, if you can get five people together and you can start working on a concrete project, if you can start 
monitoring the far right and seeing when they're going to protest trans events or drag shows or things like that, even just those five people, or even just you yourself, can take the initiative and start organizing a counter protest. Um, there really is no such thing as too little action outside of like none. Um, as long as you can make a small difference in the world, I think it is worthwhile to pursue the idea of a trans group um, or to encourage your own organization towards a more openly trans positive uh, framing. Because with the very limited resources trans people tend to have, we can still actually mobilize. You know, to, to take the most recent examples that come to mind, protests against transgender people and against uh, the events that transgender people put on are oftentimes like pretty small comparatively. And if you can just get a couple more people than them to show up, to block doors, to make sure that no one gets hurt, you've made a positive and radical change. You know, the way that fascists win is that no one shows up to give them a bloody nose, metaphorically, or literally. Yeah, maybe just to build on that with like a personal example. Um, I was in Winnipeg uh, this fall. Uh, I am no longer, but um, while I was there, uh, there was a protest planned um, for a drag time story hour happening um, at a, a local coffee shop. Um, and uh, I saw that there's a bunch of, you know, queer and trans people as well as like other like leftists just on social media sharing like you know there needs to be some sort of counter protest to that and people kind of rapidly seeming to organize something um just you know by sharing messages uh on social media and such and i decided to end up going to it with a couple of friends and it was a little disturbing there was about like 40 people there to protest it was not a small group by any means um some incredibly like bigoted and awful messages but about i would say over 200 people showed up to counter protest them they were very solidly outnumbered um we kind of formed this like human wall between the protesters and the event so that the kids like at the event like did not have to deal or with or encounter these bigots whatsoever um and it was just like such a a great kind of celebratory joyful event the um the feminist as fuck uh, marching band showed up there and were like, uh, who they do a lot of um, showing up to like uh, anti-choice stuff and like just playing music in people's faces, which I think is great. Um, so they, they were, you know, kind of leading um, like with music. And then there's just a, a ton of like, you know, queer people, trans people, um, general, like just random people um, showing up to support and like form this big, crowds uh everyone was like looking wonderful and had rainbows everywhere and it was just very it ended up being quite joyful despite this like awful shit behind us and um that kind of block uh just was so kind of overwhelmingly um outnumbering the protesters that they didn't really get anywhere near to us yeah and i mean this is like the thing a lot of people have this vision of fighting reactionaries or doing revolutionary work that includes a lot of sort of um, on like in meetings, in committee work, or a lot of like 
butcher's work. But really, when you're getting to the meat and bones of what it means to help organize and help uh, protect your community and advance um, an agenda of liberation, an air horn is your best weapon. Like, if you can literally drown out the noises of reactionary fascists and make them look silly as fuck, you have won. And I think it's important to note that even though I... I, I do have a lot of cynicism about the, the the support that cis people will give us. Enough people think that reactionaries are distasteful, that they will show up. Um, and it doesn't have to be this mass mobilization, like 200 people is a lot of people, but um, it it's not it's a one-time like gathering just to protect a specific group of people, and you have like you used a marching band to to drawn to drown out the language of these reactionary fascist fucks who want to harm people. And if, if no one had shown up and they had a bunch of people screaming and chanting and shouting uh, anti-queer, anti-trans slogans outside their drag time story hour, or God forbid, getting into the building to do shit. Um, it would have been an utter victory and there'd be less drag time shows. There'd be less queer positive events. There'd be more fear. And I think that these people are actively trying to cow us and make us bow to them and showing up and counter protesting them is the number one way to humiliate, embarrass and hurt them and their cause. Like if every single time one of these assholes tries to go and protest a drag a drag event or protest a clinic or something like that and they get a bunch of music drowning out their message or air horns making it hard to hear or um even just seeing that like they are outnumbered four to one after enough events like that that person's probably not going to be showing up as much the reactionary message only spreads when they fucking win and depriving them of any win, no matter how small is saving lives. <laughs> uh, and it can be hard to gauge that sort of thing. Cause we're talking theoretical, like how many people would be hurt if they got into the building? Fuck. If I know, I know that the answer for how many people got hurt because people like you showed up to that event is zero. Mm -hmm. And that's a win. Absolutely. And I do think one, like one really positive thing too, about starting like a small affinity group or like doing some sort of like trans led, like project with other people, even if it's very small is then you have a, a network or a, a kind of context to draw on when these sort of things happen. Um, you know, if people need to rapidly mobilize to counter protest something, now you have a group of people who you have established connections with who can you can message and who can all share things with their contacts and go as a block together. Um, and once those connections are already made, it's a lot easier to like mobilize them into action uh, to actually kind of get shit done when it needs to needs to happen. Even if up till that point, all you've been doing is like, you know, having a regular art night together or something um, with a explicitly talking about like, you know, the need for doing this kind of thing. That's, that's kind of part of um, what lays the basis for this to happen. 
Yeah. And I, I think it's important that you bring up like just having a regular art night, because one thing I don't want to encourage when I'm talking about this is you guys, like, if you want to defend trans people and you want to work towards liberation, one of the worst things you can do is always be on a war footing where you're always super stressed out and prepared mm-hmm. for the next bullshit thing to happen. Now, of course, like, um, if you want peace, prepare for war, but you should be having fun. You should be meeting with friends. You should have affinity groups where you're making art. Like, if you guys if there's this a group that like meets together and has like a night where they're making posters and they're going out to wheat paste them all across Winnipeg. And then they hear, Oh shit, we need to go and like protest some people. That's the most positive way to like do this thing where you're replenishing yourselves and you're helping each other and you're doing good, peaceful things that still promote the message, but you're ready um because you know with trans liberation and with all forms of liberation one of the biggest enemies that you can face is burning out and burning out is really easy to do if you're always hyping yourself up to face the next threat so yeah that that would be something like i'm very glad that you just mentioned like you're doing something else and then you do this like if you're forming a group of people, um, unless it's very specifically a militant organization designed to be a, a essentially a quick response team, you should be doing other things. You should be having community, talking with other people, even if it's about like the new Netflix show or about the serious implications of trans liberation. As long as you're talking with people in community you're doing, you know, something right in keeping your organization from burning out and spiraling into the abyss. Like, I mean, before this podcast, you and I spent, what, an hour talking about just random bullshit? <laughs> doing serious preparatory work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but no, and I think it kind of goes goes to, like, another point of, like, with community defense, like, that's something that looms large in our mind right now because there was unfortunately a mass event of violence against queer people. The day we're recording this, uh, there was a mass Mm. shooting in Colorado Springs uh, um, by a reactionary who specifically wanted to hurt queer people. Um, So community self-defense is currently in both of our minds right now, but like, I just as much think it's important that you can like, talk about theory or talk about random bullshit or that you can meet people in communities so that when you are in these high stress situations, you know, you have each other's back because you trust each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course there are other things that an affinity group can do, you know, community self-defense is important, but it's not the only thing like, but like if you have a network of people, Sometimes someone needs to crash on a couch. Sometimes someone doesn't have enough money for rent or something. Having groups and organizations of self-care and community care is vital. Absolutely. Yeah. And like, I do think like, at least from personal experience and from talking with other people, like loneliness is a big scourge within uh, our communities. We're 
often very isolated from from each other and so having like a context to come together like on a personal level can be really important um and gives you that energy that makes it possible to to do other things and to to actually like be in you know doing actions or showing up when it's necessary um you can't do that if you you have no kind of uh if you're not doing well necessarily, or it's a lot harder to do. Um, and also you can't make activism your whole life. Um, it's not a, not a recommended strategy, although it can, it can feel very fulfilling sometimes, but, um, if that's kind of the only thing you're, you're doing, um, uh, that can kind of create its own sort of isolation. Um, so, you know, we don't have to necessarily separate the, the distinction between like activism and community in some ways like we can get together with with people and then also mobilize and respond to things and yeah yeah i think that's right um it it's kind of hard to even separate like the idea of self-defense from the idea of having an active community um i mean on one hand like a a group of people who go meet together and do all this stuff and they will go to a anti-trans protest to counter protest and get in the faces of some bigots. That's very important. Um, but what's also just as important is the fact that you like know those people exist and you know that you have a reliable network of people and that these self-defense organizations that protect against physical defense are and physical threats uh, on the individual level are just one part of it. But organizations that try to help house people, that try to feed people, that try to, um, you know, you, you brought up like voice training in like a community context and things like that. Those are all strategies to help prevent social violence, to help prevent social murder um, because those things, homelessness and not having enough to eat and being clocked and things like that are just as big threats as like the bigot outside of a drag time show. They're, they're just far more subtle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's like a long history about that kind of like meeting people's like immediate material needs as, you know, part of trans organizing. I'll maybe drop it in the description of the podcast episode but i was reading a really cool like bio like political um biography of uh or a short article on the political life of sylvia rivera um and it was talking a lot about her involvement with star house the street transvestite action revolutionaries um kind of really well-known organization kind of post stonewall um that specifically focused around providing housing for primarily trans uh, trans women of color who are doing sex work who were on the streets or like didn't have houses and like creating spaces for them to like live and be in community with one another and support each other when they had largely faced different like you know had families that had kicked them out or um had faced other forms of social exclusion which barred them from kind of accessing just like the things you need to exist as a person and once you had this kind of like community formed around that, um, you know, they they were involved with other political organizations as well. Like they kind of had connections like to Gay Liberation Front and the Black Panther Party and 
built these these connections, but um, did a lot of like that kind of emerge out of just meeting people's like immediate basic needs. Yeah. Um, what was the name of that organization again? Oh, like the the acronym. What does it mean? The Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries. Okay. Um, the most important thing for an organization is to give it a cool name. That's a fucking cool name. Um, we we don't name them like we used to. The Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries. Uh, they they kind of had to do with a backronym thing there. Um, like, I, I guess Street Transvestite Revolutionary Action didn't flow as good, but that's a cool name. It is pretty cool. Like, and there, are, I, I'm pretty sure they're like the house that they had together was called Star House as well, which is like, <laughs> you know, that's that's great. Um, yeah, Sylvia Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson, great activists to learn about. Yeah, if you're if you want to learn about um, trans history and what a lot of trans organization would look like, reading about the post Stonewall years is actually like very important, and it's a because like you had some of the most really quite militant, most active organizations in that era. I'll admit my knowledge of it is, as I explained last episode, not the top tier best, but it's still this moment of history in which it was like very, very clear that organization among trans people and among queer people more broadly was not only possible, but deeply beneficial and effective. Absolutely. Yeah. And maybe just to describe to listeners a little bit, uh, the Revolutionary People's Constitutional Convention, which was a uh, a conference uh, that happened in 1970, organized by the Black Panther Party, um, Largely, uh, a lot of people from uh, the Gay Liberation Front showed up, as well as people from many different activist organizations. And the purpose of this conference was to write a alternate revolutionary version of the United States Constitution um, by all these activists. Um, kind of like, what would the ideal like be for a like a, a constitution? Um, and something like fifteen thousand people or so showed up to this. It was a, a significant event. Um, and the um, what I find remarkable about this is, you know, a lot of, you know, narratives of like trans struggle and trans liberation really kind of talk about how, um, you know, trans issues are only like a very kind of present day thing. Some people on the left will even be like, oh, like, or like some people generally will talk about trans rights as like a very online phenomena that like doesn't have a lot of historical context or like hasn't always been around and like that's just not not true like so many of us have been separated from our history like intentionally but um it's not that that doesn't exist it's that it's been intentionally made hard to find and what i found fascinating about the convention is in uh like one of the sections they they do put like free sex change on demand as a uh you know writing that into their version of what they wanted the u.s constitution to say in 1970 um, and run by an organization like the Black Panther Party is historically often like talked about as being quite heterosexist. And there were certainly like some homophobic attitudes and positions that they took on various issues. And also a big issue of like black women within the organization doing a lot of the like everyday work of the organization while not always like receiving the um, like the recognition for that. Um, so there's certainly like not not just like perfect on all these things all the time but yet an organization that had these issues could still get behind a message like that and see itself in coalition with that and that's what i think is so powerful 
um, that, you know, something like gay liberation, um, black liberation, trans liberation in this moment all kind of saw each other as like intertwined with one another and needing to work towards similar goals. And um, that is remarkable to me. Um, I would love to see kind of something like that happening uh, now where we could like see our struggles as kind of fundamentally intertwined. And of course, like this was also like, you know, a group of like, um, again, Sylvia Rivera, who I mentioned earlier, who was with Starhouse, was one of the activists like who really pushed that um, that part of the like constitution to be there. So it was like a specific working group of like, again, primarily black trans women who like really pushed that to be like in the discussion and people heard it and connected with it. Uh, I mean, I think it also brings up like an important point when you look at that sort of thing, like one of the things that really has to be emphasized here is like one of the hopes I have for like broader coalition with trans people is because transphobia is very deeply intertwined with, with the white patriarchal cis heterosexist um, hellhole we live in today. It is a constitutional building block of patriarchy that gender is fixed and men are this way and women are that way and that you can't change between them. It is a core part of the expectations that we live under in this patriarchal capitalist racist system uh, to the point where like the histories of transgender people have been actively eliminated and the histories of people who um, are who were colonized have had those aspects of their history erased from them alongside so many other parts of their culture and well-being. Um, the intense racialization that is uh, put upon, uh, for example, Black people means that like a lot of specifically Black trans people experience a brunt of the violence with that is directed towards the queer community. Um, you cannot fight any one of these aspects of this hellish world we live in without incorporating all others. Um, you can't, like, I, you, you just cannot create a world in which trans people are liberated, but um, people of color are still oppressed because the way that power and systems of oppression work intertwines them all. Um, you have even to the point where like a lot of cis women of color will get unfairly clocked or treated as hypermasculine or have aspects of um, transphobic violence directed towards them because they're seen as less woman than uh, white women are seen. And of course, mm -hmm. white women are expected often to fit into this perfect, almost Aryan-esque, button-nosed, thin-waist sort of um, ideal womanhood that very few of them achieve, which means that feminism in general requires an attack on the conception of gender as a fixed set of physical qualities that you have, because a lot of people don't conform to those. Uh, you, you, one of the things that's important to remember in the conversation of trans liberation is that the concept of trans liberation is essentially dead unless you incorporate other forms of oppression, other forms of um, 
suppression, other forms of violence, because all of them end up being part of this matrix of violence that makes up the modern world and is the matrix of violence that we are trying to get rid of. Um, you, you can't just get rid of one facet of that matrix. You're not going to kill it by just attacking one part. Yeah. I'm 100% agree with everything you've just said. And this is one of the things that I think like at its very best, the left can be of like something where, you know, we come to be radicalized or see the the way that the system we live under is a hellish nightmare for largely based off of like our own backgrounds, our own, you know, sometimes like reading about kind of other circumstances brings us to it, but often it's like a fairly individual thing, but then we we come into it, we struggle, and we see that our struggles are connected with so many other peoples, and we are transformed in that. Like, we do not kind of stay the same people that we entered into it. We're not just like one uh, nice, nicely represented um, kind of subgroup within a bunch of other uh, people that, you know, can kind of get like a kind of formal right stamping um, and this is what I think is so kind of interesting and compelling about something like the the Revolutionary People's Constitutional Convention. You have this like broad coalition of people, radicals coming together from very different kinds of struggles, um, building a document which probably a lot of people, um, people's like, you know, might have not thought that they were going to sign on to at the beginning of it, beginning of it might have seen those struggles as kind of totally different. Um, and yet it kind of becomes all connected at this like moment of articulation where they come together. Um, and that's, I don't know, that that's kind of what uh, I, I feel like what being on the left is about, <laughs> um, if it's about anything. <laughs> and I think that what I find so disingenuous and kind of lacking about like liberal kind of versions of like trans rights or like, you know, um, the kind of, perspectives that to see like a place for trans people within the current systems it's always this form that um seeks to kind of like give representation or inclusion to kind of like the most um like select members within like a marginalized group that are often like the most well off like you know we can have a few like white trans people from like you know kind of like better uh, like you know more wealthy upbringings kind of who can be like celebrated or like you know on magazine covers but like meanwhile trans women of color like are you know it's it is you know trans day of remembrance right now and you know we do have to like talk about how like the majority of people who do get like trans people who are killed are trans people of color um you know there's certainly like violence that's like i face as a white trans woman as well but it's it's not the same it's not nearly as as much um and that's just the reality of it and like trans liberation means nothing if it isn't for for everyone the worst like if we're playing this out like i don't know liberation the video game the golden ending is socialism <laughs> the best ending is socialism the worst ending is the one in which trans people uh and specifically white trans people um get to rest on their laurels have a white picket fence and not be molested uh, by their neighbors like the worst ending is where everything keeps going on as it is, but 
trans people are more accepted, that they're a little bit of spice in the liberal melting pot. Like, mm-hmm. we can't allow that to happen because ultimately all that does is allow a select group of trans people to live and operate comfortably on the backs of dying people from around the world. And like, that's one of the things, like one of the failures of modern feminism in a lot of ways, the point where the term of white feminism exists is the inability to really factor in other axes of oppression uh, and just very specifically focus on the rights of largely white women. Um, And I think that it's important for as much as we're focusing on trans liberation here to absolutely remember that this is a multifaceted fight that will include fights for um, racial liberation, economic liberation, for the liberation of every minority of people who are oppressed. You know, it's not liberation if you're still keeping some other people down. That's just Mm -hmm. a shift in the hierarchy of power. I, I mean, the, the perfect example of the kind of trans trans activism that I think is illustrative of the worst possible one is like um, uh, Caitlyn Jenner, uh, who big, big fucking story when she came out as trans, huge fucking story about how she came out as trans. I saw a thousand thousand people commenting on it and talking about how it was great for trans people, how it was awful for trans people. There were people obviously making transphobic and sexist jokes. I still very clearly remember like the person who joked that, Oh, that's why she hit that person. She's a woman. Women can't drive that sort of shit. But like, yeah, but like um, now she is like a Republican stooge who's actively working against other trans people and queer people in general because she got to the economic top and has been riding like her, her fame and uh, such basically to the bank. And that's the kind of thing that I think is possible and terrifying about liberal trans rights is that people like her exist now. Um, You can be a trans woman and work for Raytheon. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, God, I hate how you're literal. I I hate that I know exactly who you're referring to. We both have spent too much time on Twitter.com. <laughs> yes. Uh but 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 no, like like um it is like important like for any sort of activism that is trans focused for you to basically reject the liberal ideal of trans liberation because it's not actually a liberatory philosophy. It's one that seeks to integrate trans people into an oppressive system of racialized capitalism that will destroy the fucking world. And that's why organizing against it is like very deeply important. I was thinking about how, you know, coming together with other trans people, other like radicals, um, is very important and we need to build, you know, organizations. At the same time, there's a lot of like queer specific organizations that do exist, many of which are uh, deeply inadequate for a lot of the reasons we've just talked about of like this very liberal approach, this very like, you know, if we just represent kind of a few people from the marginalized community, then that's equivalent of like, that's enough, that's great. Um, you know, something like most pride parades, um, you know, pride started out as a riot. 
and now it is like this kind of very big, um, you know, celebratory event where the cops kind of keep everyone nicely in line and uh, is very kind of institutional in a lot of way and uh, is not kind of supporting like the this kind of radical like grassroots trans organizing when it could be and it should be um uh, and there's i guess there's like a role for trans people and trans radicals to take of like taking a bit of a kind of oppositional stance towards some of these groups like within the like broader queer community that we can kind of like confront them and like demand that they um or kind of like expose some of the way that this uh, their approaches don't work um, in a way that can be generative and that can um, really kind of like get people excited about the possibility that there can be more. One example of this uh, that happened recently was um, in last Pride Parade in Winnipeg, um, a group called Winnipeg Police Cause Harm. Uh, and from my understanding, specifically a couple trans members uh, started this initiative. Um, they printed off like about 6,000 uh, little stickers that uh, were like a light bright um, that uh, ha- was a burning cop car with a rainbow fuck the police on it. And what we did is we got together as a group. I I joined them for this and um, we like distributed the stickers amongst all of us. We didn't officially get like permission to join the parade, but we just inserted ourselves in there and marched with everyone else and handed out these stickers and the response we got was like electric. People just like saw these stickers and went wild. They were so excited. So many people, you know, go to Pride and like it's 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 a beautiful event. There's there's a lot of good things about it, but there is this kind of lacking political edge to it. I would say uh, I don't think that's controversial to say that there's like a lack of kind of politics at the at a lot of Pride events. Um, so people kind of seeing this like confrontational. Um, like gesture uh in the middle of this like very depoliticized event like people just absolutely responded to that i saw them stickered all over the city like for like the next couple of weeks um so things like that like that's that's not a big thing like it, it is printing a lot of stickers um but uh you know that's not like going to change pride as an institution but it's a way to tap into some of the energy that does exist um latent there yeah i i think that one thing kind of a maxim I, I that I kind of worked with um, is that you don't show mercy to liberals, but you always be kind to comrades, which is like when I've critiqued the organizations that I'm in, when I've talked about the organizations I've been in, in sort of a more negative way, um, you always, I always try to couch in like, here's my idea for what we can do better as opposed to like y'all are shitty. Um, But when you have a chance to go to something like pride and you get to distribute stickers that say, fuck the police, or you get to start shit going, like do not hold back. Like if you can like be a pamphleteer, if you can wheat paste, if you can hand out stickers, if you can start a chant, anything like that, where you are disrupting the liberal space and getting people interested in what you're doing, take it. Because Mm -hmm. these events, like Pride is a hyper-corporatized, hyper-sanitized version of what it used to be. But that doesn't mean people there aren't going to respond to your message. You just have to sidestep the organizers. And like, I do like Pride. I think Pride's very important. 
but I'm going to be hostile to liberalism no matter what, because pride without connection to other forms of liberatory movements is just going to get us Caitlyn Jenner's. And like, at the very least, pride needs to like, you know, not have police there like listen like yeah fuck black lives yeah like black lives matter has been doing like a lot of like like there's a lot of chapters that have been calling out pride on this specifically i'm thinking of like i think it was 2015 that black lives matter toronto like um actually like stopped the parade and like to like read a message to be like like fuck you for like having the police um i don't want to actually speak for like exactly what they were saying but i know it was like anti like basically calling out um pride toronto for the like the way that like police are just like part of that institution now when like you know the role of police in like you know murdering people of color the historic and like ongoing role of police in oppressing queer people like there's no space for them at pride absolutely none um and that should just be the baseline for this kind of event and for queer events generally yeah uh cops not welcome yeah i Um, i mean this is the thing like modern day policing will try to do like liberal sort of identity politics around queerness but like never fucking forget that if a reactionary government gets into power and starts reinstating transphobic and homophobic laws the cops are going to be the one enforcing them they ain't your friends. Mm-hmm. They can never be your friends. They can never be part of any radical movement or any movement that just wants to be left alone because they will enforce the ordinances about cross-dressing, about gender transition, about um, public gayness. They will be the ones fucking killing you. Yeah. Uh, and disrupting organizations um, by like reminding them of that is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, honestly, like the the friendliness of so many, you know, pride organizations and queer organizations to the cops is a betrayal. Um, and I, I I don't think that we should use like less like less comp like more compromising words like that's what it is mm-hmm. yeah so if you would like talk about like okay so we have these major kind of organizations or these small groups of people you know cis and trans to like uh, unite in like a specific cause or something like that um like cis people have obviously a pretty big place in the idea of trans liberation as allies, as collaborators and accomplices. Um, I mean, one of the major things is like, A, if you start following transgender organizations and seeing what they're talking about and what's important to them, um, that's a very good starting place for figuring out what you can do to support them. Um, If you want like not a lot of, I can't think of many reasons why a trans organization would outright reject someone coming up and saying like, hey, what can I do to help? Um, obviously, trans-centric organizations that are meant for trans people um, have their purpose and place and reason for existing, but very few of them, I think, would actively, like, try to stop cis people from, like, poking their head in and, like, offering to help in some capacity. 
Um, and if if you are like a cis person who wants to help, who wants to um, start like incorporating the ideas of trans liberation into your own politic, there there is actually you know quite a pit you can start to do. I think one of the things would be I, I would honestly encourage like if cis people like genuinely care about this sort of thing. Um, a, if you don't have any trans friends whatsoever, that honestly might make it a lot more difficult. But by being at protests, by being an extra body who wants to be there to help protect people, uh, by being present when these organizations and these events occur and meet up and want to do stuff, um, when you're seeing stuff happening on the street, essentially, being there is a really, really good thing to do. Uh, and it will help put you in tune with what the trans community and what the trans radicals within your organization uh, or within your community actually want to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this, I mean, maybe this is a bit too much of a kind of individualistic comment, but I think it's still important. And I feel a bit, I don't even know if I have the best context for this because even a lot of the, the cisgender friends I have are like, friends with a lot of trans people other than me and like it's not they're kind of used to it and they get it um but they're like statistically most like a lot of people out there don't know a trans person um and i would say yeah if that's like the place you're in just like not seeing us as like this kind of weird like kind of super out there like you know medical condition um people who just need like help but you know like we are dealing with gender in a specific way but the gender system as it is set up is like like fucked for everyone um like you not not kind of continuing the medicalization of like trans identity that like we are people self-determining um our own bodies and uh, like have to deal with like um, a kind of classification and kind of like like medical kind of descriptions of that that often really don't reflect the reality of what our lives are like. So don't invest in that too much, like the kind of formal descriptions of that. And then just like treat us as people. I don't know. Yeah, you you shouldn't treat trans people as these weird out there people. We are just folks. Um, I think that like if you're talking individual things, one thing is like quite genuinely get like if if you read a lot of theory already, like start investing in some trans theory, into some mm -hmm. trans feminist theory, into some socialist and Marxist trans yeah. theory, which is now currently emerging. Um yeah, there's a lot of good stuff out there's there. There's good stuff. I mean, I just got the book Transgender Marxism and uh yeah. And I mean, you yourself, you've written articles about the topic. Um, if you are, if you are listening to a lot of this stuff and you're wondering where you can start and you, if you're now realizing you don't know much about trans theory and trans socialism, there's a lot of resources and a lot of books and things like that, that you can start to read, to get started on, um, which would be like just the first step in what you should be doing. The next step should be like showing up to, help support trans people when we need you to start like advocating for us and acting as an ally and as an accomplice to trans liberation, because 
like we're like as as uh, as Misha said, like we are fighting for you guys too because the gender system is so deeply fucked. It's hurting everyone. The abolition of the current system of gender is something only benefits everyone. The state of queer organizing in Canada right now is such that we just need people to take the first steps with us. Uh, A lot of us have been in this game for a long time, sometimes longer than like some listeners might have been alive, like queer organizing and queer existence in Canada um, is old, but it's not very organized and it's mostly been captured as far as I can tell by liberal politic. And we need people to start taking the first steps and seeing what a radical vision of a trans-inclusive future would look like and to understand that the best thing to do right now is to take some steps to help promote trans people, uh, to help protect them, to help protect us, um, and to be there when we need you because right now the organizational status is such that there's real threats against trans people and not a lot of stuff that exists to help counter it. I was just thinking about what you said about like, yeah, like, you know, assist people helping out in like groups for trans liberation, that kind of thing. And this might be like an overly obvious point or maybe, but like, I don't know if you're a cis person and you're like in a, in a reading group or something, I'd like, I feel like there's sometimes this tendency of like, if there's a, a question of identity that doesn't like directly pertain to you, it's not something you personally like experience. There's like, it's like sometimes this uh, perspective of like, well, then I can't like investigate that too much because that's not about me. And like, I will just listen to people who hold that identity. And it's like, yeah, you should, you should, if you're a cis person, you should probably like follow the guide of trans people out there. But like, what's stopping you from like suggesting some trans theory at your next reading group meeting? Like, check it out see what you think about it and like discuss it with other people ideally if there's like a trans person there that can bring some like of their own perspective to it that's best um but take it seriously as something that you can just engage with um like anything else um don't like kind of quarantine it off to like an issue that is like separate from you but interesting to learn about or something like it it does i don't know that's maybe a specific yeah it's not too obvious a point i think like a lot of people do get stuck in this idea of like they will find a minority they like and they will listen to that minority person um but really like like if you're a cis person who's deeply invested in trans liberation i'm not going to make any jokes about you being an egg or secretly trans or anything like that you can just genuinely be a cis person interested in trans liberation because you see value in it Um, And one of the ways that you can see value in it is by thinking about it and actually engaging with the theory of the text or talking with other people and considering their perspectives and then formulating sort of your own outlook on it. Because even if you are a cis person, you still fit within the like vast matrix, like uh, mosaic of gender and the place of a cis person within that still is one informed by gender and gender politics. You Mm -hmm. like 
if you're cis, you are not a neutral party. You are not the normal standard subject. You are a part of the theory that is being contrasted against something else. You are part of what the theory is about. And you really should engage with it seriously and materially. Yeah, I think this is a good place to, to end it. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Solidarity Winnipeg podcast. If you'd like to learn more about who we are and what we do, you can check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Solidarity Winnipeg. But really the best way to keep in touch and follow what's happening in Winnipeg is to sign up for our newsletter at www.solidaritywinnipeg.ca. If you want to reach out to us directly with questions or comments, you can send us an email to info at solidarity Winnipeg. Yeah.